the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Thought leaders and experts join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. The idea that thoughts become things has become popular in today's culture. But what does the scientific evidence tell us about the scope of the human mind to transform thoughts into reality? Today's guest, Dr. Dawson Church, author of Mind to Matter, is here to talk about how our minds create material form. Dr. Church is an award-winning author whose best-selling book, The Genie in Your Genes has been hailed as a breakthrough in our understanding of the link between emotion and genetics. He founded the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare, and his research has been published in scientific journals. Welcome, Dr. Church. Thank you for joining us. Joan, so good to be here. Thank you. So, Doctor, I want to lead off with something that I believe to be very important, and you're best known for your research into epigenetics. Tell us what epigenetics is and why this is so important. Epigenetics is producing changes in gene expression by means outside the cell. And so we have 24,000 genes, and those genes can be turned on and be turned off. And so all of us has a unique constellation of switches in our genes. Some of those are turned on, some of those are turned off. Some of those are dialed partially up or partially down. And so epigenetics is a study of the influences that affect whether those genes are turned on and turned off, both from inside the body and outside the cell. And a very, very simple example is you eat something and the genes that code for your digestive juices will start to turn on and you'll start to produce them. Or it'll, be, it'll get dark, it'll be late at night, and your clock genes will, will turn on and you'll, you'll, you'll feel sleepy. If you get stressed, if you feel emotional, if you feel upset or angry, then your, your stress genes like cortisol and adrenaline uh, producing genes turn on. So all of these, these, these things are affected epigenetically by both our objective circumstances like light and dark and food, but also by subjective ones like how we feel as well. All of those are epigenetic influences on ourselves. And it's so exciting because for years we thought, and actually a lot of people still believe that we are destined or we're predestined. So if we have a family member who had cancer or heart disease or or any condition, sometimes we just say, well, this is my future and we write it off. But this field of study is really showing us just how powerful we are by making different types of lifestyle choices. You know, Joan, I was so struck last year. A friend of mine phoned me in a panic in uh, March of last year, and she said I'd been diagnosed with metastasized breast cancer. There was a large tumor in her right breast, and there was also all the lymph nodes under her right armpit were swollen and inflamed and full of cancerous cells, and there were also three spots of inflammation on her right lung. And so it looked like a very serious diagnosis. And my friend actually was also panicked because they did a gene test, and she emailed me and said, my gene test shows I have eight defective genes that predispose me to breast cancer. And what I said to her was, Beth, don't worry, you have 24,000 genes that are perfectly okay. Let's start with those. And she elected not to have radiation, not to have surgery. She did energy work on herself. She cleaned up her diet. She got rid of all the sources of stress in her life. She turned off her alerts. She quit watching the news. She began to do intensive qigong. We did some distant energy healing for her using acupressure and other forms of energy medicine. 
two months later, she went back into the hospital and all of her lymph nodes were clear. And later scans showed that the tumor in her, her breast, first of all, shrunk to about a third of the size and then disappeared completely. So all of those signs reversed. Eventually, all of her blood work showed she was cancer-free. And so I'm so impressed by the stories of people like Beth who use energy and use, use consciousness and use all of these ways of addressing their health challenges. And so for some people, the radiation might be the perfect thing or the chemotherapy might be their way, their path to healing. For others, it could be energy. And I really urge people in Mind to Matter to look at the impact that energy has on your relationships, on your money, on your career, on your health, on your sense of well-being, it can have a powerful effect on the material circumstances of your life. So, Dr. Church, you're saying to use energy for someone that doesn't really understand what you mean by that. Can you explain that a little bit further? Sure, John. There's a whole field called energy medicine and another one called energy psychology. And energy medicine uses these intangible tools of energy healing to work on physical diseases. Energy medicine is, is powerful and there's research showing there are over a thousand studies showing that energy medicine is effective for all kinds of conditions. And then energy psychology uses energy techniques, mostly acupressure. So it's pressure on acupuncture points. And it uses this to affect psychological problems like anxiety and depression, everything to do with stress. In, in our nonprofit called the Veteran Stress Project, we've now treated over 20,000 veterans over the course of the last 10 years. And those are people who come in to see us. They have high levels of PTSD. They're having flashbacks. They're having nightmares. They're having intrusive thoughts. They're hypervigilant. And after just six, one hour energy psychology sessions, those symptoms tend to go away, and in 9 out of 10 cases, they never return. So it's powerful to use energy to address whether it's a psychological problem you have, like PTSD or depression, or a medical problem you have. It's really worth looking at the role that energy healing can play, and you're getting well again. So this radio show falls under my work, which is under the umbrella of Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. So I believe in the power of thoughts on our physical and emotional well-being. Can you explain to our listeners exactly how thoughts affect our physical bodies. I was teaching a live workshop at the New York Open Center last year, and we had people hooked up to heart rate variability monitors, which monitor their heart coherence, and also to EEGs that monitor their brain waves. And so I would get people in a nice, relaxed state, and the whole audience could see up on the screen how, when they were relaxed, all of these indicators of stress were were, looked good. They were all green. Then I had that person think one negative thought and all the indicators turned red. Their heart rate variability went way down. Their stress brain waves went way up. Their relaxation brain waves went away. Their cell healing and repair brain waves went away. And these are the brain waves that, that are associated with, with stem cell growth, that are associated with telomeres, our, our main uh, marker of aging. All of these stress hormone and cell markers went way down when people thought just one negative thought. So it's powerful when you hook people up to these machines and you can actually read what's going on inside their bodies. You can read the levels of cortisol, the levels of stress brainwaves, and you think just one negative thought, and in mind to matter, I have lots of graphs and images of what it looks like on a heart rate monitor or on an EEG or on an MRI, and you see all of those positive markers will go away and all these negative markers of stress will kick in like high cortisol, high adrenaline, high beta brain waves, all of these things kick in just by negative thinking. So you have a powerful effect on your, your body. And, and mind to matter, in the book I review over 400 studies. One of them shows, for example, that people who are optimistic, who just have positive stories about their lives, they don't have perfect lives, but they just have an optimistic way of looking at life. They have a lifespan that's eight years longer than pessimists. That's the long-term effect of mm -hmm. thinking positively, of reducing your stress, reducing your cortisol, and bringing your body into balance just with your thoughts. So our thoughts are not intangible, immaterial uh, fluff. They are having a direct effect at the level of our cells, of our genes, on our bodies. Well, because we're, we're spending so much time in that fight-or-flight response mode, we're so stressed out, we're, we're walking around angry. And, and when we do, like you say, we, we produce the cortisol and the adrenaline that surges through our body, and it creates disease. And then we wonder why we're getting sick. Mm, yes. And, and the effect is instantaneous. Now, there, there are two pieces to it. One is short-term, one is long-term. So 
your body is meant to be able, be able to handle an adrenaline surge or a cortisol surge if something bad is happening. So if, for example, you're um, walking into a sketchy neighborhood and it looks dangerous, then you will have a rise in adrenaline and cortisol because you have to be, that's an appropriate fight or flight response. But the trouble is most of us are thinking ourselves into high stress without anything bad happening in our lives. So our, our lives are just, just great. We're just sitting in, our, in the armchair relaxing, but our thoughts are then running riot. And there's a part of the brain called the default mode network, which is the part of the brain that's active when we're doing, not doing a task. So if I'm not actively focused on a task, the default mode network kicks in. And what it tends to think about and focus on is the bad stuff. We think about the, the problem we have at work. We think about the, the, what our, our teenager said to us or our parents said to us or some, some teammate wrote us an email that really upset us. So we, the default mode network, when we're not focused on the task, the brain just kicks, just ticks over with all of these negative thoughts and those drive our cortisol up epigenetically all the time, even when there's nothing bad to have to deal with. So that's the problem is we can think ourselves into disease even when our lives are, are pretty secure and, and okay. So Dr. Church, what techniques do you recommend to calm the brain? One is meditation. So meditation is number one. Number two is called emotional freedom techniques or EFT, acupressure, or, or what's called tapping sometimes because you tap with your fingertips on these acupuncture points and that calms people really quickly. That's, that's what we've used with those 20,000 veterans as EFT. So those two things, and we're getting literally thousands of responses where people are saying, I'm trying the, these, these methods in the book. They are so easy. One of them, for example, is grounding, just walking out into nature and grounding yourself by taking off your shoes and standing in wet grass. The Earth has a huge number of electrons, and those, those electrons flood up your body and they neutralize free radicals, the main cause of, cause of aging. And so just a simple practice like grounding can make you feel much better. And so I have 30 of these practices, but the two I recommend at minimum are meditation and also EFT, because meditation makes you feel good in the morning, and then EFT gives you a way to return to that, that good-feeling baseline throughout the day. Dr. Church, do you think that mainstream medicine is catching up with what we're talking about? Definitely. I, I give, in, in my live workshops, I have, every year we have hundreds of psychotherapists, psychologists, doctors, nurses. Uh, many of them are learning these energy techniques and having great, great results from them. They're, they're, they're also, last year, EFT was accepted by the VA as an evidence-based technique which, which VA employees can use. It took us 10 years to get that, that certification. So uh, medicine changes slowly, but it is working its way into modern medicine. Just for example, at MD Anderson Cancer Clinic, they have several branches throughout uh, the U.S. And at the Orlando, Florida branch, they have a practitioner who does energy medicine with cancer patients. So it is uh, increasingly being used. And, and about studies show that about 40% of people uh, act, actively use some kind of alternative medicine practice. So it's growing. We estimate about 20 million people worldwide use EFT. And so the numbers are, are growing as people look for alternatives to, I mean, who, who wants to be on a drug for the rest of your life? The average, the average senior in Britain is on five different medications. The average Canadian senior is on five different medications. I mean, we're medicating ourselves in, in these ways, and often these medications have, have unpleasant side effects. So you, you may need them. But what I urge people to do is you might need that material medical intervention, but also look at what thought can do, what can consciousness do, what, 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 is your, what is your belief having on your body. In one huge study by the University of Rochester, they found that people who believed that they were at low risk for cardiac events, heart attacks, strokes, and so on, those, those who believed they were at low risk for those things were at a much lower risk for them irrespective of their age and uh, medical history and risky behaviors. So just the belief that something is true has an effect. So I urge people to not neglect their, the medical side of the equation, but look at what they can do in terms of attitude, belief, history. All of those things in your consciousness are having a direct effect on your body. And if you just look at the material side of medicine and look at the material medical approaches, you're missing a huge piece of the puzzle. So up until this point, we've been talking about the power of our thoughts on our personal body. But how do our thoughts affect the material world outside of our bodies? Joan, this is so interesting. In Mind to Matter, I talk all about how 
energy can change the world outside of your body. And one of the examples I use, several of the studies I, I discuss are to do with water. And uh, research shows, for example, that if you take t- water divided into two groups of, say, bottles of water at random, and then have one of those bottles blessed by an energy medicine practitioner like a healing touch practitioner or a Reiki practitioner. So now one of those sets of bottles is blessed by the practitioner. And then you go water seeds with them. In the group of seeds that's watered with the blessed water, the intention-filled water that's affected by that, that healing practitioner, more of those seeds will germinate. Also, those plants will usually grow taller and bigger and stronger and have more chlorophyll in them than the ones that are not blessed. So our intentions, our energy is having an effect on water. And in a really interesting series of experiments, I talk about the the way the structure of water. It's, It's H2O. It has one oxygen atom, two hydrogens are bonded to it. And what the researchers found was that if water was blessed by a healer in that way, that the angle of the bond between the oxygen and the two hydrogens actually changed. So the water was actually physically changed by that act of blessing. So we're, we're definitely having an effect on molecules in our environment, like being able to put your hands over water or pray over your food, for example. It's made me much, much more inclined now to hold, sit there for a moment and really hold high intention around my food than I did before. So there are quite a number of experiments showing that we affect molecules outside of our bodies as well. And it's worth knowing how you're doing that. There's research showing that, for example, we can affect electromagnetism, one of the four fundamental forces of physics. There are Qigong masters who can affect nuclear forces, the rate of atomic decay. And it's really exciting to see that we don't just affect the molecules inside our bodies, we're literally affecting the molecules outside of our bodies. And then it also covers, in the book, I also talk about things like distant healing. All the remarkable evidence for these phenomena, like, for example, the ability to hold an intention of somebody who's a long way away. So there are distant effects that sometimes extend for thousands of miles away from the intender. And so these non-local effects of our ability to to have an effect on the outside world are are really amazing. And I think that that's where research will go in the future. We'll start to, to map out how we can affect the the pulse rate or the heart rate variability or the cortisol level of somebody who's 10,000 miles away. How is it even possible to do this? And the the book talks about the power of synchronicity and how that we live in a synchronous universe. And when we align our consciousness, our little local human mind with non-local consciousness, with the the force that of, of the universe, huge universal forces, if you can meditate and align yourself with those giant forces, suddenly you invite synchronicity into your life and synchronicity becomes, I tell a lot of stories of synchronicity in, in the book, people about synchronous experiences and, and they're just amazing how they're able to then influence the the, the course of, of events with their intentions. So yes, we can have this, this, this pr- profound effect on the world outside of ourselves with our consciousness as well. And is that what you mean when you say to get into the flow? Yes, and that flow state is so interesting because it turns out that we all experience flow sometimes, but you can train yourself to experience flow most of the time. The book is Mind to Matter. If you would like to get more information about Dr. Church and his work, you can visit mindtomatter.club. Dr. Church, thank you so much for spending time with us. This is such a fascinating topic, and and I'm so happy that you were here to share all of this with us, because I know many people tend to feel that they're powerless when they're going through something, and and I want everyone to understand just how powerful we really are. So thank you for sharing all of this information with us. It's a pleasure, Joan, and you're right. We are far more powerful than we believed. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. 
Imagine running your own business that generates seven figures in revenue. If this sounds like something you'd like to achieve, then join me on Wednesday, December 12th for a special Conversations with Joan event, Building a Million Dollar Business. My guest will be Elaine Pofelt, a writer for Forbes.com. Elaine will explain how to identify, launch, and grow a high-revenue earning business. She'll discuss why this is a good time to start a business, the challenges entrepreneurs face, the top categories for earning seven figures, and how to get on track to achieve high earnings. The event will be held at the Raphael Center in Clifton, New Jersey. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash conversations. I hope to see you there. Let's start talking. your health. Joining me today is Donna Galarza, a certified medical nutritionist. Donna experienced debilitating medical issues, which led her on a path of healing as she wanted to help people seek out the best treatment possible. Today, Donna practices aggressive prevention. She's here to discuss her strategies for wellness. Welcome, Donna. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Joan. It really is my pleasure to come and share my personal and professional journey in the medical field. So Donna, tell us a little bit about how you got into this field. My journey began in, uh, well, let me go way back. When I was 12 years old, I was reading my medical books. My father was a medical student, and I always had a, a love for medicine. And when I was uh, 20 years old, I was working in the hospital as a medical technologist. Back then, the rules were very different, and we got a lot of exposure probably that would not be able to be obtained today. What got me in the field was I worked in the hospital for 10 years, and when I was 31, I started to become ill, which really baffled many of the doctors that I went to. I ended up going to about 20 doctors, and I ended up at Columbia Presbyterian in New York City. I saw a rheumatologist there, and he believed that he called it your brain was on fire, and he called it a post-viral fatigue syndrome. He was really ahead of his time. That was 30 years ago, and now there are so many books about brain on fire. But basically what happened was I got sick with what appeared to be regular viruses, and for whatever reason, my body did not recover. I spent a year and a half to two years in bed, which was a very difficult process. I had three children. I couldn't even stand up. Right. And I ended up seeking out holistic, that's what we called it back then, holistic medical care from MDs because I was getting nowhere with traditional medicine. So then what did you learn when you sought out holistic medicine? What I learned was that because you can ace your regular blood work when you go to a regular doctor or even some specialist does not mean that you are well. And I see a lot of patients like that today. They present with very normal blood work from their traditional medical doctor, and they're very sick. And when they come in, they feel defeated because they say, well, nothing shows. And I'm, my answer to them is, well, let's be happy it didn't show, show in that area because you would have been really hospitalized type of sickness, and that we would need to begin the work that I do, which would be restoring health in the person's body. Donna, what do you think are the biggest mistakes that people make that may cause dis-ease in the body? I think a few of the most important things that I see is that patients strictly rely on traditional medicine to get their answers. If you look at medical, the way our medical works today especially, you know, medicine is an art. Today, the way medical works is it's a diagnosis-driven medical model. And if you don't fall into one of the diagnosis, you don't get the help you need. So the first thing I would say would be strictly relying on traditional medicine to figure out what's going on with you. My second thing I would say is that we can't be under the impression that pharmaceuticals fix everything. The reality is they often fall short. Medications are awesome in conditions that are acute. I always tell my patients, if I fall down and have a heart attack, call 911, take me to the hospital because we have great acute medical care. Uh, the third thing I would think that would be very important would be not managing your stress. That is one of the major causes, I believe, in illness. Poor sleep is also right up there. And I think another one would be our chemical exposure. And the last one would be not fulfilling 
your God-given gifts. And I think a lot of people are not fulfilled either in their personal life or their professional life. And you cannot really be well under those conditions because the whole body works together. And to achieve optimal wellness, we have to work on all the areas that are connected into our health. So then taking into consideration what you just told us, what are strategies for wellness? Strategies for wellness, I would say, you know, it's funny, I have had people say to me, can't you just give me one pill? And I always respond to them, if I could do that, I wouldn't be sitting in this chair. I'd be a, a multi-billionaire. But you have to attack all of the areas that are connected to the body and the mind. So sleep, spirituality. We know that when people pray, their natural killer cells are increased. We know that when children go to Disney World that have chronic serious illnesses, a couple weeks when they come back, they still have increased natural killer cells just from seeing Mickey Mouse. We know that movement is critical. The body is meant to move. Happiness is critical. At least an understanding that we cannot control everything that happens in this world and having some acceptance of what we can control. I would say detox would be important. We all need to do some kind of detox today. There's just too much chemical out there. And I think having a good doctor on your team that will support your endeavor for health that you feel comfortable with that you can bounce ideas off of and work together to achieve optimal health. Donna, who can your approach to wellness help? Nutrition, especially functional nutrition, really helps everything. My patients are autism spectrum disorder, to people with chronic kidney disease, heart disease, someone who wants to lose weight, children's behavior. Many things can be addressed with nutrition. Because my practice is so encompassing, um, thinking outside the box, say someone came in with chronic kidney disease, besides giving them the diet, I would roll out a mat with them and get them to do some deep breathing on the mat because we know that stress hormones will damage the kidneys just as quickly as eating too much protein. So I make explanation to them of why it's important when you have these conditions, to do all these things. You can't just say, well, I'll just eat this. It doesn't work. You need to make the whole commitment. Donna, from your years of working in this field and everything that you've learned, how would you sum it all up? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Right now, I would say probably the most pressing things happening is medicine is changing rapidly. The technology we have today is amazing. Things that I learned in holistic medicine 30 years ago, we can now prove Mm -hmm. through scientific testing. So it's getting really exciting. I would also remind the patient that, you know, when they come in to see me, I stress to them that what my business model is and what I do is that we have to address each individual person's specific nutrient deficiencies, your sensitivities to foods and your gut integrity your sleep, spirituality, movement, and stress, your hydration and your dietary intake, your previous health history and treatments. That's a critical one. People don't realize that what happened to you when you're five or seven or 10 can impact you lifelong if there was a lot of antibiotics or types of different medications used. I also ask them to check their environmental exposures. What chemicals are around you? We talk about the genetics and lifestyle, And then at the end of that, I say to them, it's the goal of this practice to ascertain all areas of functional medicine, to create a long-term wellness plan, to address specific patient needs, understanding the mosaic of health, that all systems function in conjunction with each other. To realize optimal health is to harmonize all facets of functional medicine. We are more powerful than we believe, aren't we? Patients have a lot of power. Most of the chronic illnesses are preventable. That's why children are my passion. We have an obesity, diabetes, behavior problem. And with children, it just was on the news that, wow, there's so much depression and anxiety in teenagers. And a new study shows that maybe it's the diet. It's really a no-brainer. You know, your body and your brain, it all works together and The human body is an amazing design, and it really is meant to heal itself. And if you give it what it needs, 
you can certainly get a better outcome with most conditions. I wouldn't say cure because that would be unethical, but I would call it, you know, taking power, take the power back and find that good medical doctor that's willing to work with you. Donna, thank you so much for being here with us. If you would like to learn more about Donna and her work, you can visit her website, functionalmedicalnutrition.com. That's functionalmedicalnutrition.com. Donna, this is such an important topic, and the information that you provided has the potential to save a life, so thank you for sharing. Thank you so much for giving me the capability to tell my story. This is Conversations with Joan. We'll be right back. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. My next guest, Diana Curtis, a realtor with EXP Realty, says that a successful business professional must treat clients as people and not numbers. She believes that we should stop selling and start helping, and that when we do, everyone wins. Diana is here today to talk about life lessons she's learned from two decades in real estate. Welcome, Diana. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Joan. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the work that I'm still passionate about after 23 years. Well, Diana, let's talk about that work. You get to work with people during the happiest and sometimes saddest times of their life. What are some of the lessons that you've learned from these experiences? Um, I've learned a lot, and I have dealt with people in some extreme times. I mean, the obvious happy times are working with newly married. They have joy over everything from the fridge with the ice maker to the themes mailbox. Their appreciation and value renews me and reminds me not to take the small things for granted. Other happy times are watching growing families as they follow their dreams. And one of my first clients were Joan and Walter, both incredibly bright. She's a technology whiz. He was, he's a me- mechanical engineer. We looked at dozens of homes over several months, and she was on the Internet before any of my other clients were searching online. She knew the market and was on top of things. Then one appointment, we walked in, not four feet into this expanded split level, when she grabbed my arm and said, call Walter. And I said to her, can we at least see the kitchen before we write up a contract? You know, she later told me that as soon as she saw that curved stairway, she had a vision of her daughter on the stairs for prom pictures, even though her kids at that time were still in middle school. Yes, she did her research. She knew the market. The house was spacious and well-made. But at the end of the day, her response to the house was an emotional connection. And I learned that although things can add up on paper, style, size, condition, location, there is a variable that buyers must connect with to make it feel like home. A similar client situation, but in a different tact. Years later, I had clients Joanna and Michael in a very hot seller's market. They had bidding wars on three different houses. They went aggressively over asking, but evidently not high enough. They had a very specific criteria about room layout, proximity to trains, colonial style, and school district. They had to be in the house by the time September school bells rang and the pressure was on. So one day I encouraged them to see this house that had everything on their checklist but style. It was, a, it was not a colonial, which was a big no-no for the husband. Bonus, it was 150000 under budget. Michael was ticked at me for showing them this style home. Steam was coming from his collar. Uh-huh. Bless Joanna. She understood where I was going as we sat down in the living room and talked about the space and what it would provide for them. I think he agreed because he saw the vision I painted, but also he loved his wife so much, and as a good man, he knew a compromise was needed. Sometimes reason has to cut through emotion to entangle what they want. I I tell you, I love when I visit Michael and Joanna. They tell me how much they love the house and the neighborhood. I grin from ear to ear for hours. It's so rewarding. It's worth being patient, putting the client's interest first, because at the end of the day, I want them to be thrilled with the path they are on. Not everybody I deal with are coupled, and uh, this one unexpected, positive, celebratory time was with my 90-year-old client, who was downsizing and moving close to family. Mrs. M is my friend's mom. She was moving from Florida to New Jersey, and I had to put preconceptions aside. This client had siblings, 104 and 106, (laughs) and neither... And neither used a cane, Joan. Wow. They were, I mean, she would, I would say, can I take this from you? She's like, no, Diana, I could handle it. But I would have to, like, put my preconceptions about her on the side and just kind of like she was agile both physically and mentally. And this was the kick. She was excited about decorating and setting up her townhouse 
as any other first-time buyer in their 20s. Mrs. M redefined aging and its limitations for me. She is inspirational. She chooses how to age. What an example. Her kids were her soldiers, and she was the captain in charge. We, we should be so lucky, I tell you. But, like, dealing with couples and their styles of negotiation is, is a study unto himself. I've learned to focus on the positive when couples, you know, are on the same page. And then when, when they have common ground and help to define criteria that they both agree upon. On a sad note, when I'm listing a home because divorce is on the horizon, talking to the couple both as individuals as a, and as a couple without taking sides is a balancing act. In this case, I ought to say the house becomes my client and the results usually benefit everyone. I'm not a trained counselor, but I do feel like I play one on TV. Divorce <laughs> frequently doesn't have a happy ending, but my goal yeah. is for a peaceful, successful closing. On the sad spectrum, you know, is dealing with um, estate situations where the owners have passed away and the family has to deal with an estate. At that point, I'm dealing with the children or executors. And, um, you know, to this day, I'm still grateful. I had this client, Art, who was my, one of my first listings, and he lost his mom and he had to sell our house. The home wasn't that large, but clearing it out was an ordeal for Art and his family. They had a professional estate sale, they had two yard sales, gave donations, and still paid for and filled the dumpsters for twice. Here they were, still in pain from losing their mom, dealing with a brutal process that numbed them. And you know what? Art's family wasn't the exception. This is a common scenario. But it was a big lesson for me that I keep in mind regularly, and I share with my clients you know, today, that is to declutter so you don't have to do this to your family. I used to hold on to things before, but this initial experience changed me. At the time, my mom was alive, and I shared with her, you know, she was a child of the Depression, just like Art's parents, who held on to everything. And she, you know, after I shared with her my experience with my clients, she started to get rid of things. And fortunately, when my mom did pass, you know, we didn't have such a drastic clean-out to deal with. But I will say it's a constant work in progress, but I make it my priority to get rid of at least three garbage bags at each change of season. I either donate, recycle, or discard. It feels liberating, and I recommend everyone to do this. In the same process with dealing with people who've lost their family, you know, like I've learned to deal with bereavement. Losing a parent and selling the home that you've either grown up in or cared for your parent can be such an emotional upheaval. For some, it's like saying goodbye to their parent all over again. I've learned to help my clients to create a bit of a ritual to say goodbye to their childhood home. I prepare them as we are readying the house for sale. This one family of three sisters, they were model sellers. They listened to my suggestions about decluttering, repairing, painting, and minimally staging. The house looked great. It was excellent. The house had an offer two days in on the market and was set to close quickly. The older sister, Bernadette, the executrix, had a real tough time, difficult, and confided in me that it was the right thing to do, but felt like she was losing her parents all over again. You know, she said the wound was reopened, and so we, we sat on the floor in this nearly empty house and started to gather some accessible photos with some of my marketing material to create like a special house album. We talked about taking her memories with her, we talked about praying for the new owners, that they will have wonderful memories in the house. She lit a candle and I left so she could have a private moment in saying her goodbyes. Two days later, after the walkthrough and closing, she told me how much that ritual helped her and gave her some closure. I vary on how I guide people in saying their goodbyes. I mean, not everyone's lighting candles. But I, I'm, I'm definitely more conscious of the grief and bereavement involved. Praying for both buyers and sellers is my own ritual. The prayers are positive wishes for everyone involved. I take the expression, stop selling, start helping to heart in that regard. Diana, listening to you, it's easy to hear that you love what you do. Why did you become a realtor? You know, I, I became a realtor because I have an artist soul. I'm not talented, but I, I really appreciate architecture, design, style, the study of space and light. But I truly, I stay in real estate because I love my clients. I love being with them at such significant times in their lives. You know, I'm a certified teacher, and I, I use those skills with every client to varying degrees. You know, in my eighth grade journal for occupation, I wrote realtor slash teacher. I don't know if I even knew what a realtor was at that time. I mean, yet that's what I wrote. And today, I consider myself exactly that, a realtor teacher. You know, like, it's in every aspect of what I do. 
So Diana, you recently made a big career change, something that you had shared with me you were nervous about doing. So can you tell us about that decision? Well, I was with my former company for 14 years, never thought I would leave, and yet I am so excited about being with the XP Realty. It's a business model as innovative and has given me the opportunity to expand my business in an evolutionary way. And I, I've learned about this company from an online webinar, and I made up my mind immediately. In a blink, I knew. Like my clients, sometimes our big decisions are made in a moment. After months or years of analysis and experience, intuition kicks in, and you know it's the right fit for you. Diana, you are truly living your passion, aren't you? I, I believe I am, yes. So, Diana, where can our listeners go to get more information about you? Well, I do have a website. It's dianacurtishomes.com. And, and on that, you like, if you're like a Twitter person or a Facebook person, you can definitely click on some of my buttons. But I, I try to blog on that. Um, I also have my email is dianacurtis at realtor.com. Or you could call me at myself, 973-713-6722. Diana, thank you so much for spending time with us and for sharing these wonderful stories. As you said, there are many teachable moments in life, and we all should take advantage of them. So thank you for inspiring us. Thank you for your generosity, Joan, and best wishes on AM 970. Thank you, Diana. This is Conversations with Joan. We'll be right back. Are you aware of how your feelings affect your bodily processes? Can some feelings be hard to manage or accept? Managing feelings can lead to improved well-being. Hi, I'm Lori Gardner, registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. I am the CEO and founder of HealthLink Advocates, a firm dedicated to assisting people to navigate our very complex and confusing healthcare system. We also provide coaching to individuals and groups that want to improve their health and overall well-being. Feeling is the sixth dimension in our wellness inventory program. Feelings are core to our human experience. Feelings act as our internal guidance system. It is important to be able to be open to a full range of emotions. Being able to experience joy is essential, as is the ability to appropriately express anger in ways that resolve issues. Taking the time during the day to ask yourself how you are feeling is beneficial. It is equally beneficial to be able to graciously accept positive feedback from others. The importance of positive emotions has been shown to improve health and longevity. Practicing appreciation and gratitude can have a positive impact on our well-being. The well-known psychologist and pioneer in the study of self-compassion, Kristen Neff, says it is common to beat ourselves up for faults big and small. But she says that self-criticism comes at a price. It makes us anxious, dissatisfied with our life, and even depressed. If you want to delve further into this dimension, contact us at healthlinkadvocates.com. Women have proven through history that they are strong and capable, yet they rarely give themselves credit for their natural ability to form deep connections with other women in circles of companionship and camaraderie. Hi, I'm Susan Greif, an expressive and healing arts facilitator and founder of Art Men's Hearts. I harness the power of creative expression to help clients release old stuck energy that keeps them feeling panic, powerless, paralyzed, and in pain. Many cultures have circles that offer sacred space of unity and wholeness for support or celebration. When formed, an immediate energetic connection binds their members together. In women's circles, there are no judgment, just empowerment, brainstorming, and healing. Women are accepted and encouraged to be their best, trust themselves, and enjoy peace and prosperity. When lonely, in pain, struggling with relationship or career, or exhausted from caring for children or parents, reach out to your support circle. Some modern versions of circles to consider are Facebook groups, Mommy Me groups, groups in your religious congregation, meditation study groups, meetup groups, network groups, brainstorming groups, or healing circles where energy is shared in silence. For more information on how the healing arts can release old stuck energy, visit artmenshearts.com. In the digital world today, companies and organizations need to pay attention to what is being said and done by customers, clients, the public, and your competition. Hi, I'm Patricia Singer of Follow Me Social Media Consulting. We work with small and mid-sized businesses to help them with their presence on the various social media platforms. Social listening allows organizations to monitor and track their competitors' actions throughout the web. 
watching and evaluating the content they are posting onto their social media channels, observing what kind of engagement they are getting from those social media platforms, monitoring what the public as well as fans are saying about the organization within the competitor's social media accounts as well as outside. Social listening can help an organization discover which products and or services their competition is getting traction with, either in a good or bad way, and also help them evaluate how they can differentiate themselves from the said competition. In this competitive marketplace, you need to stay on top of what is being said and where. The advantage to you is that you can be proactive instead of reactive. If you would like more information, go to besttofollowme.com. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a certified intuitive life coach and reinvention expert who helps her clients move through life's challenges and transitions with clarity and confidence to emerge more powerful, fulfilled, and purposeful. Linda is here today to discuss why we should embrace change. Welcome, Linda. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Joan. It's always great to be here. So, Linda, change is inevitable. It is a part of life, but it's a part that most people try to avoid at all costs. Why do you believe change is so uncomfortable for us? Yeah, change is viewed as uncomfortable, mostly because it creates fear, insecurity, or uneasiness. Change takes us out of our comfort zone. Let's look at our childhood. How were we raised? Was change viewed as easy and normal or difficult and stressful? Because our earliest experiences create our belief systems. We either created a belief that change was easy and positive or scary and negative. How often do we associate change with loss? And we hate loss and so do our brains. Our brains are wired to minimize loss. So it stands to reason that we resist change because we feel it may result in loss. But if we're resisting change, this means we're only focusing on the negative. The part we have to remember is sometimes what we lose is something that no longer serves us anyway or is no longer important to our project or our success and well-being. Fixating on what was lost as a result of the change will prevent us from experiencing the good things that our new circumstances can bring us. It's important to recognize that there's often something truly positive that comes along with the change. I agree with you because in my own life, Linda, wonderful things have come from some some of the worst changes and experiences in my life. So what do you exactly. believe people can do to help us become more open to change, to be in a place where we have acceptance rather than resistance to change? Well, I always say you can be a master of change or a victim of change. Right, exactly. Change is part of life. Yeah, and if we resist it, it's going to happen anyway. So we might as well learn to accept it and deal with it willingly. It's helpful to be in a place of expectation, knowing things are going to change. So it's not such a big shock when it happens. There is a fundamental difference between change that happens to us and change that we initiate. 
seeing possibilities versus having circumstances handed to us. Know that resistance to change is mostly just a belief system and we can reboot it by changing our thoughts and attitudes toward it. Granted, some changes are easier than others, so sometimes you have to allow yourself to do a little kicking and screaming and processing of emotions before you can find ways to make your new situation more acceptable and enjoyable. Change is easier when we choose to be flexible and open to new ideas and new ways of doing things. When we approach life this way, others like coworkers, family, and friends see us in a new light. They see us as forward-thinking, progressive, and easier to be with. This motivates people to be open to change because they don't want to be seen as rigid and inflexible. We don't want to have others pass us by while we cling to the old ways of doing things. If we stop viewing change as negative, we open ourselves to a world of possibilities we wouldn't even have imagined from our old perspective. And even more importantly, embracing change allows us to learn new things about ourselves. It may be uncomfortable at first, but it can also be exhilarating. Linda, what makes those who embrace change different from those who fear it? Well, I think those who embrace change may once, in fact, have been uncomfortable with change and feared it. And it's not that they don't feel somewhat uneasy or fearful. It's they actually want to conquer their fear. Many people just take baby steps doing more and more out of their comfort zone to gain a bit of confidence. And here's another difference. These people purposely envision what it would be like to do things differently, but they aren't attached to a specific outcome. They're able to say, I'm going to try this. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work out, but that's okay. They don't base their success on the outcome. After enough regular practice, managing and embracing change won't feel like such a fearful burden. Linda, thank you so much for being here with us. If you would like to learn more about this topic or Linda and her work, you can visit livinginspiredcoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.